0: come before you again this morning because we want to start our day out with a word from our Heavenly Father. And So, Lord, as we assemble ourselves here together in family worship, we invite the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit to rest upon this place, that you would take the words that are spoken and apply them right where they need to be in our hearts. Father, you have truly blessed. We are in great anticipation of blessings yet to come. Thank you, Father, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We have learned in our morning worship time that we are living in a time of war, that we are soldiers, not civilians, that there is not a wartime part of life and a non-wartime part of life, that the Bible simply describes that we are living in war. In our Scripture reading this morning, I want to add another layer to this. Yesterday we looked at the sword of the Spirit as a means of defense against the enemy. The armor of God is good for protection, but we also as soldiers of Christ are not just to stand there while the enemy attacks, but we are to fight back. And God has given to us a weapon that has been proven to be successful, and that is the Word of God. We looked at yesterday how we claim the Uh, the, the Word of God, and use it in the defense against the attacks and temptations of the enemy. But there's something else here in Ephesians that Paul adds that sometimes may be overlooked. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, we read it in our Scripture reading, the Bible says, "'Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always.'" With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Paul does something that, in my opinion, is extraordinary, and that is he puts prayer in a wartime context. Now, we understand that in the original manuscripts, there were no verse divisions, the original manuscripts, it just simply continued to flow from one thought to the next. And so, Paul would have, it's, it, you know, the way it would have been stated is taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer. Don't miss it. The Bible here is telling us that we take the sword, praying Always. I want to submit to you this morning that although I am presenting these messages in two presentations, that they are closely connected and inseparable, that the only way that we can effectively wield the sword of the Spirit is if we are praying always, with all prayer and supplication. Prayer, according to Scripture, in our Scripture this morning, is for war. I believe, in my humble opinion, that prayer is like a wartime walkie talkie. Where we have the ability to reach back and communicate with headquarters and talk to our commander and our general and ask him to send heavenly firepower and air support to attack and to destroy the strongholds of the enemy. Now, listen to me carefully. As we have been flipping this lens from looking at life from a time of peace to a time of war, if prayer is for a wartime context that we are living in, listen to me carefully. Prayer is not the means of making our lives more comfortable. Are you all with me this morning? Listen to me carefully. War is not comfortable. We have comfort that is promised to us in the uh, sweet by and by. But while we tarry here as soldiers of Christ, we must remember that prayer is to be used in a wartime context. It is not to be used to to ask for more comforts here on this earth, that we do serve a benevolent God, who even does give us the answers to our prayer that makes our life more comfortable at times. But that's not the sole purpose of prayer. Prayer has been given to us for war. Go with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 21. I want to illustrate this to you from another passage of Scripture. I think it's very clear in Ephesians. Why don't I show this to you from Jesus as well. Luke chapter 21 and verse 32. Unless we understand that prayer is for war, we will miss the important biblical teachings about the urgency of prayer, the vigilance of prayer, the watching of prayer unto prayer, the perseverance in prayer, and the danger of abandoning prayer. Communication for a soldier back to headquarters is everything when it comes to success in fighting the enemy. Notice what Jesus says, verse 34. He says, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting or carousing and drunkenness and the cares of life, and so the day come upon you, what? Now, Jesus is talking about two things here. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, but he's also talking about the second coming. And what he's doing is he's exposing the tactics of the enemy before he is even able to employ them. Can you see the war in the Bible passage? Jesus says, take heed, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged, With what? Gluttony, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. That's the tactic of the enemy. He's trying to get us caught up in these peripheral things that draw away and zap us of our spiritual power and strength to overcome. And then Jesus says this in verse 36. Watch ye therefore. And what are the next three words? And what? Pray Always listen to listen to it carefully, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things. What are all these things? It's the tactics of the enemy, the cares of this life, the drunkenness, and all of that stuff. Jesus says, "Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape." All of these things. I don't know about you. I want to escape those things, and Jesus tells us that the way we do it is by watching and what praying. And then it says this: that ye shall that uh, that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. You know, Paul in Ephesians, he repeatedly refers to the soldier being able to stand when the war is over. This is an important component, and you'll have to forgive me. I know I keep repeating myself, but you'll have to forgive me that I'm talking in such elementary terms that I'm stating the obvious. But brothers and sisters, prayer and Bible study are the only ways that we can attack the enemy. We're not thick with our Heavenly Father morning by morning in prayer and Bible study. You will be overcome. There's no way around it. You see, we get into trouble when we do as millions of Christians do, when we stop believing that we are living in a time of war. It gets us into trouble. Because instead of praying for the heavenly firepower, we end up praying for things that will make our lives comfortable. And brothers and sisters, we live in a lavishly comfortable life already. That's right. We don't need more comfort. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Sometimes our prayers are such that we are asking God to make our home here on this earth. And God doesn't want you to be comfortable here. He wants you to be uncomfortable here so that you look for a place that you will be comfortable. We get ourselves into trouble. And prayer malfunctions when we are constantly praying for comforts instead of help to attack the enemy. Steps of Christ, page 95. Without unceasing prayer and diligent watching, we are in danger of growing careless and of deviating from the right path. The adversary seeks continually to obstruct the way to the mercy seat. How often does he seek to to obstruct the way? Continually. Now, I trust that all of you as good Seventh-day Adventists have read The book steps to Christ. You have read this statement before. But are we on our guard unceasingly? Now remember, we can only do this in the strength of God. I'm not asking you to do it in your own strength because you can't do it in your own strength. As soldiers of Christ, we are advancing in the power and strength of God. And the only way that we can be constantly vigilant is if we are moving forward in his power and strength. If you're moving in your own strength, you will grow weary in well-doing. That's right. Without unceasing prayer and diligent watchfulness, we are in danger of growing careless and deviating from the white right path. Joseph Nishima Christian missionary to Japan, he said that in this war, we must advance on our knees. Amen? I read that little statement. I thought, praise the Lord. That's what we need to do. We need to advance on our knees. There's no way around this, brothers and sisters. When you look at the men and women of great faith, they spend a lot of time in the Bible and a lot of time in prayer. There's no way around it. We live in a fast-baked society. We want everything microwaved and pressure-cooked. We want to shrink everything down into the shortest amount of time as possible. We want the quickest way to get to X, Y, Z. We want the fastest this and the fastest that. We want everything to be done quickly. But brothers and sisters, this type of stuff is not done quickly. Men and women of great faith who have been strong in the power and strength of God, soldiers of Christ that have gone forth from one victory to another, they spent time in the word of God and in prayer day after day. And it's not going to be any different for us. The greatest of all examples, Jesus Christ himself was found a great while before dawn spending time with his heavenly Father. Take the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God, praying always. With all prayer and supplication, in his book, Power Through Prayer, Taylor Bunch makes a fascinating statement. The mighty weapons of our warfare, therefore, which pull down the strongholds, the fortresses, and unholy imaginations, and which bring into captivity the strain and retrograde thoughts are the word of God and prayer. These two weapons of Christian of the Christian warrior are inseparable in the all-out battle for victory. One cannot be used effectively without the other. Listen to this. The word is powerless without prayer and prayer is ineffectual without the word. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Only when it is wielded by effectual, fervent prayer. Isn't that powerful? They're inseparable. They're linked closely together. When we are imbalanced in spending too much time in prayer and not enough time in Bible study, we can be defeated by the enemy. If we're spending too much time in Bible study and not enough time in prayer, the same can take place. There must be an even balance between the two, they are inseparable. We wield the sword through prayer. Now, I didn't get this quote to the AV team, so please forgive them. I stuck it in this morning. And I mentioned this to you yesterday, but I wanted to repeat it again. This is from The Great Controversy, page 600. Temptations often appear irresistible. You remember this. Because through neglect of prayer and the study of the Bible, the temptations, the tempted ones, sorry, cannot readily remember the promises of God. What can they not remember? Okay, so temptations often appear irresistible because the tempted one is not spending adequate time in Bible study and prayer, and when that temptation comes, he cannot call back to his memory the what? And meet Satan with the scripture Weapon. Right? So, what does the Christian need in fighting this war, according to that quote? He needs to have in his mind the what? Prayer and Bible study coming together. Taking those promises of God and hiding them in our minds, in our hearts. When Satan comes, we can use the weapon of the sword of the Spirit to vanquish the enemy. I love this Bible text. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. You probably know it in your minds, but I love it so much. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious what? Promises that by these you might become what? Partakers of the divine nature. How do we become partakers of the divine nature? Through what? The promises of God. We become more like Christ when we are searching in the Bible to find the promises of God. We are more victorious in our battle with the enemy when we have the promises of God stuck in our minds and we can pray them to God saying, Lord, you said it, I believe it. I don't care what my feelings tell me. Feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. Trust alone in the Word of God, it's only worth believing. whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Promises of God, brothers and sisters, are imperative in fighting this battle with the evil one. Go with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15. Let's build on this theme. It's evident from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that promises are imperative to be victorious in this spiritual war. John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus is having his final conversation with his disciples before he goes to Calvary's cross. We do well to spend a lot of time in these Chapters of the Bible, John 13, 14, 15, and 16, 17. Jesus says in John 15 and verse 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. What did God ordain them for? That you should bring forth, what? Fruit. And that your fruit should remain. Listen to this. That whatsoever ye ask of my Father in my name... He may what? You know, there's three times that I can count in the Gospel of John, in this conversation between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus makes that same promise. That you can ask anything in my name and I will do it. It's almost like Jesus is saying, here, here's a blank check. Write it the way you want it. But notice what the disciples are doing. God had ordained them, according to what Jesus is saying here, that they should bring forth much what? So as we are going around doing what God has ordained us to bring forth much fruit, as we are doing our Father's bidding, we can ask anything to accomplish that, and he will answer it. That's what the Bible's telling us. It's as though Jesus, our commander, is calling the troops in, and he's giving them a talk. And as he gives them the talk, he wants us to go out and bear much fruit to take some of the soldiers from the enemy and to enlist them in the enemy of Prince Emmanuel or in the army of Prince Emmanuel. And he says, as you do this, I'm giving you a walkie-talkie. And this walkie-talkie is tuned to a heavenly frequency. And this general has unlimited firepower. This general has unlimited capacity. This general will do anything to make you successful in accomplishing your mission of overcoming sin and pulling down the strongholds of the enemy. Hmm. Brothers and sisters, prayer is not an intercom to call the butler down to give us what we want. God is not some sort of genie in a bottle. That if you rub him just the right way, he'll come out and say, what three requests would you like? And I will give them to you. The purpose of prayer is to accomplish war. I heard a story once from Uncle Arthur. You probably heard this story. A little boy, one evening as he was kneeling next to his bed, he was praying and I love listening to my kids pray. I've got a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old. And my seven-year-old prayed for me yesterday on Father's Day, the Strong Tower radio thing. It was so precious. Lord Jesus, please bless my papa. Beautiful. My uncle Arthur tells a story about a little boy. He's kneeling next to his bed, and he's praying one evening. He says, Dear Jesus, please give me a pet elephant. Now, as a parent, I like listening to my kids pray, but a pet elephant? Could like, you pray for a sandbox or a pool or a pet lizard? Dear Jesus, please give me a pet elephant. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. If Jesus had answered little Johnny's prayer, do you think he would have been happy with that answer prayer three weeks later? When he had to clean that pet elephant's litter box? Probably not. He would have said, Mama, can you take him back to the pet store? <laughs> and, you know, sometimes our prayers kind of go like that. And little Johnny's mom, as she listens to him pray, she's just she's kind of chuckling. She said, Well, i got a little more work to do teaching Johnny what prayer is all about. And sometimes our prayers are like that. We pray for things that are just not relevant. We actually sometimes we pray for things that if God answered those prayers right after he answered them we would say whoops didn't mean that one And it's because we forget that war is not about making our lives comfortable and giving us our wants Prayer is about war and accomplishing God's objective of getting us from here to the kingdom of heaven And an important ingredient in that warfare is claiming the promises of God. Now, of course, we understand, of course, there always has to be these qualifying statements. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, that this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? He hears us. I've met people many times Say, Preacher, prayer doesn't work for me. As you begin to look at their lives and talk with them a little bit more about what they're praying about and how they're going about praying, it's no wonder to me that prayer doesn't work for them. They want more comforts, more enjoyments. The more I want, instead of the Lord, help me to bear much fruit and to be victorious in my own life. Now listen to me carefully as I talk about promises of God this morning and the remaining time that we have. I'm in no way suggesting a an name and claim it kind of promise thing. We don't believe in that. But we do believe in claiming the promises of God. Let's take a look at this a little bit more closely. In the book Education, page 257, we are told this. I love this statement. He makes it plain that our asking must be according to God's will. We must ask for the things that he has what? What are we to ask for? Are we to ask for more comforts in our home? What are we to ask for? The things that He has what? How can we ask for what God has promised if we don't know what He has promised? That's why prayer and Bible study are inseparable. We must ask for the things that He has promised and whatever we receive must be used In doing His will, not my will, the conditions met, the promise is unequivocal. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. That's powerful stuff. That as we pray the promises of God, that He will hear and answer those prayers. That the promises, when we meet the conditions, the promise is unequivocal. How can we pray for things that we do not know God has promised? You know, <clears throat> praying without the Word of God is like having a bank account without a checking, checkbook or debit card. Can't get very much out of that check account, can you? But when we unite prayer and Bible study together, we have this beautiful mixture that becomes all of a sudden powerful and successful. I've made it a habit in my devotional life. In my my study of the Bible, I think this is an important distinction that many people misunderstand. In my study of the Bible, I separate two things. I have my devotional time, which is specifically reflecting upon my relationship with God. And then I have my Bible study time when I'm getting into the nuts and the bolts. And sometimes we bleed these two things over. And we spend, in our devotional time, we spend time looking at the nuts and the bolts. And not upon the relationship with Jesus. Asking God to speak to your heart through His Word. I think it's important to make that distinction. That was a piece of advice that was given to me at my wedding, and I followed it and have found it to be very helpful. Because we, we don't want that, that time together with God in the morning to be sucked away by getting caught up into, you know, the nuances of understanding theology. That is important. We need time for that. But that's not the purpose of your morning devotions. The purpose of your morning devotions is, Lord, how am I doing as a soldier? Lord, help me to become more effective in wielding the sword of the Spirit. That's the purpose of your devotional time. And so in my devotions, I have grown accustomed to looking constantly in my study for the promises of God. I'm on a constant promise Treasure hunt, and when I find a promise of God, I take my pen out and my ruler and I underline that thing because I want to be able to find those promises quickly. And if you want a place to go where you'll find a lot of promises, don't go any further than the book of Psalms. I mean, you'll find them all over the Bible, but there's just a concentrated amount in the book of Psalms. I have read through that book a number of times. And find promise after promise after promise after promise. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these you might become partakers of the divine nature. Lord I want your divine nature. Help me find those promises that will help me overcome the enemy. And win souls into your kingdom. Be on a constant promise treasure hunt brothers and sisters. Look for them, find them, underline them, memorize them, meditate upon them, share them with others, claim them, fulfill the requirements of God being able to fulfill them in your own life. I think you'll find some powerful things happen if you do this. Let me give you a quick example of this. You're all familiar with the passage in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. If you'd like to turn there, you can. This is a promise that I have claimed a number of times in my own life. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation. He will what? With the temptation also make a way of escape. Have you ever been tempted before by sin? Whenever I'm buffeted by the devil and tempted to do wrong, I will call this passage of Scripture back into my memory and I will say, God, you have promised that with the temptation, there is a way of escape. Did you see that? That when the temptation comes my way, God has promised there's a way of escape. And I have to say, Lord, show me that way of escape. I'm just claiming the promise. God said it. And brothers and sisters, it has never let me down. Never. Because God said it. Does God want you to be victorious? Absolutely. Does he want you to vanquish the enemy? Absolutely. Does he want you to wield the sword of the Spirit effectively? Absolutely. So when you pray this prayer, God will show you the way of escape. Now, go with me quickly to the Gospel of Mark. Let's continue building on this because there's another layer that I think needs to be brought in. Mark chapter 11 and verse 14. Mark chapter 11 and verse 14, Jesus says this, I'm sorry, verse 24. Mark 11 and verse 24, Jesus says, therefore I say unto you, what what things soever ye desire when you pray... What's the next word? Mm. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Listen to me carefully. It's one thing to present the promises of God. It's another thing to believe in the promises of God. And Jesus says, when you present those promises, believe that you have them. It's what we call faith. It's one thing to know the promise in your mind. It's one thing to be able to break it down and share it with somebody else. But it's another thing to believe that God will actually give it to you. Christ Object Lessons, page 147. This is a powerful statement. She says this, God stands back of every promise he has made. Uh, You're not getting excited enough. You're like, oh, Great. God stands back of every promise he has made. With your Bibles in your hands, say, I have done as thou has asked. I present thy promise. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. God stands back of every promise he has made. With your Bible, present Those promises to God. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 322. We have an example of this from Ellen White. She says, This, the mother of Augustine prayed for her son's conversion. I know that there are parents here who are doing the same for their children this will be a word of encouragement to you. She saw no evidence that the Spirit of God was impressing his heart. She what? She didn't see any evidence. There was nothing to tell her that her prayers were being answered. But she was not discouraged. Amen. Praise God for spiritual tenacity. She laid her finger upon the text Presenting it before God, he uh, his presenting before God his own words and pleaded as only a mother can. Her deep humiliation, her earnest importunities, her unwavering faith prevailed, and the Lord gave her the desire of her heart. Today, He is just as ready to listen to the petitions of His children. Amen. She saw no evidence that God was answering her prayers. But she was unwavering, presenting the promise of God. Lord, you said this. And as she continued to prevail, Augustine was converted. And that mother's prayer was answered. And she will spend eternity with her son in the kingdom of heaven. People tell me I wish so and so was in the church. I wish such and such was in the church. I wish my child was in the church. I wish my mother was in the church. I wish my friend was in the church. I wish my wife, my husband was in the church. How often are you praying for them then? <laughs> Stop going to the pastor. Stop going to the head elder. Stop going to other people to do the work that you should be doing in your prayer closet. Be like St. August or Augustine's mother And present the promises of God. God has said, he has ordained us, go out and bear much fruit. And as you do that, whatever you ask for, I will give it to you. Stop trying to get other people to do the work that you should be doing in your prayer closet. Now that doesn't mean that God won't use other people to help you. But God wants you to be praying earnestly for those people. Brothers and sisters, I think we will find that that time is well spent when we get to the kingdom of heaven and we see those prayers that are answered. Once heard a story about a mother who prayed for her son who went into the homosexual world, left God, left the church, left his family, completely cut himself off from everyone. She had no communication with him, no text messages, no email, no phone calls, nothing. She didn't even know where he was. And she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. She made her bathroom her prayer closet. And she had promises of God like sticky notes all over the place in her bathroom. And she would pray for her son and pray for her son and pray for her son. And God allowed one thing after another to happen in that young man's life until he gave his heart to the Lord. Snatched him out of the jaws of the enemy. Wielding the sword of the spirit with prayer. We need to talk to people less and pray for them more. Amen. Stop making them feel guilty when your child who you raised in the Seventh-day Adventist church to go to church every Sabbath is no longer going to church. Stop making them feel guilty about not keeping the Sabbath. Just pray for them. We would do better sometimes if we would just keep our mouths closed and talk to the Lord about it. Amen? Amen. Because really, brothers and sisters, that's where the power is. Go with me in your Bibles the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, we're talking about faith, believing in the promises of God. As I said, it's one thing to present the promise, it's another thing to believe it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, Bible says this, Paul is talking about the children of Israel as they were crossing the desert. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word did not profit them, not being, what's the word there? Mixed with faith in them that heard it. Let me ask you a question. As the children of Israel were crossing the desert, did they have the gospel, yes or no? Apparently they did. Paul said they did. He says that they had the gospel preached unto them, but did it profit them? Why? Because it wasn't mixed with faith. That's right. That's right. And so we have all of this gospel that God has given to us, but we need to mix faith with that gospel. Wielding the sword of the Spirit through prayer. Brothers and sisters, unbelief is like poison to your prayer life. And that's why Paul said in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Why could they not enter in? Huh. You think it could be the same for us with the heavenly Canaan? could not enter in because of unbelief. I want to wind this up with a story. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Story of Abram here and Sarah. (coughs) Verses 5 and 6. Lord, help us to understand this story. The Bible says, verse 5, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou art able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. What was the promise that God gave to Abraham? His descendants would be like what? Can you imagine what that was like as Abraham was out there in the evening talking to his heavenly father? No light pollution. And you know that God gave him a crystal clear night that night, right? Milky Way going across the sky. And as Abraham was out there praying and talking to his heavenly father, this great father of faith, God said, see those stars in the heaven. That's what your descendants are gonna be like. You can't number them. There are so many. Abraham, the Bible tells us, believed. And it was counted to him for righteousness. But of course we know that story, in the story, Abraham and Sarah were old. They were past the childbearing age. Therefore, listen to me carefully... This was a God-sized problem. They had their part that they had to do. But their part was ineffective without God doing his part. This was a God-sized problem. And as Abraham and Sarah looked at this promise that God said, they thought to themselves, well... I guess we need to help God out a little bit. Uh-oh. And you know the story. Abraham and Hagar get together. Ishmael is born. Is he the promised seed? Sarah's lack of faith in the promises of God, that, she would, that God would give her a son, caused all sorts of problems. Listen to me carefully. And those problems are still being dealt with today. Can you see what happens when we don't believe in the promises of God? Lord, have mercy. What would the world look like today if Abraham and Sarah believed God's promise unquestioningly? That from them, the promised seed would come. What would the world look like today? The amount of work that it has caused God's people to have to to go and to evangelize Ishmael's seed. What would have happened if Abraham and Sarah would have just believed in the promises of God? We probably would be in heaven right now. I wonder what it would look like. It was a God-sized problem. And Abraham and Sarah got in the way because they thought they had a better way. Sometimes you look around on Sabbath morning. You see the numbers dwindling. You say, where's everybody going? As pastors, we always hear the I remember story. I remember Grand Ledge. I remember when the church was packed and there were people standing in the back. I remember when such and such a pastor was here and so and so was here. I remember. And we get lost in the past instead of planning for the future. And we expect that the conference is going to send us some magical wizard of a pastor who's going to come and wave his wand and say, Abracadabra, and the church is going to be filled. When you go to church on Sabbath morning, and you look around and you see the saints are getting older and the numbers are dwindling, Remember, God has ordained you to bear much fruit. Stop leaving the responsibility with somebody else and believe in the promise of God. Listen to me carefully. Your dwindling church is a God-sized problem. What did I say? Your dwindling church is a what? Stop being like Abraham and Sarah and trying to come up with a better way. Now listen, I believe in programs. I believe in strategizing and all that kind of stuff. But brothers and sisters, we must not allow programs to take the place of Bible study and prayer. This is a God-sized problem, and it will only be fixed, not by programs, as important as they are, but it will be fixed by converted sons and daughters of God. The servant of the Lord tells us that a loving, lovable Christian is the most powerful argument in favor of the truth. You want to grow your church? Be a loving person. We need these programs, and we're thankful for what the conference gives to us, these tools to use, but don't depend upon them only to perform some magical operation when those programs are coupled together with converted, loving, lovable Christians, you will be a force that is unstoppable. Spend more time in your prayer closet looking at your own self as a warrior. Stop throwing darts at your fellow warriors and start asking God to change your heart. Stop complaining about what the administration is doing, what the conference is doing, what the church is doing in, in the Adventist church as a whole, what your fellow church members are doing, your head elder, your elders, whatever it may be. Stop it. Get in your prayer closet and say, Lord, where's my heart? Show me some promise. Give me the living word of God that will change my life to be a loving, lovable Christian that will be an unstoppable force. And brothers and sisters, when your church begins to grow because you are a converted, loving, lovable person, you will stand back like Sarah and Abraham did when they held Isaac in their arms for the first time and you will say, this is God. Abraham and Sarah, when they held Isaac, they knew it wasn't them. Their bodies were dead. There was no way that they could produce life from their deadness. And there is no way that we can produce life in our churches from a dead, stale Christianity. Witnesses. That's our theme. Lord, help us. Sarah's actions revealed what she really believed about God. She lacked the faith that God could do The impossible. I believe in a God that can do the impossible. How about you? We need to pray the prayer of the demon-possessed boy's father. In Mark chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible. If thou canst believe, what? And straightway the father cried and said... With tears. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. George Mueller, man of great prayer, cared for over ten thousand orphans, educated them, raised them, taught them about God. In the course of his life, George Mueller obtained about seven point two Million dollars through prayer. How much? $7.2 million dollars through prayer. He was a tremendous man that believed in God's word. He did not believe in himself. In his pre converted life, he was a manipulator. He He would manipulate people. And he did not want to manipulate God. He knew that was a recipe for a disaster. And so George Mueller depended heavily upon the promises of God. And before he would pray for something, he would search the Bible, sometimes for days, until he found a promise of God that spoke to what he was requesting. And then with that promise in his hand, he would point to it and say, God, you have promised this. Please fulfill your promise. And over the course of his years of ministry, $7.2 million came through his hands. Yet when he died, he was basically poor. But he was rich in what he had set up in store in heaven. You know, a couple of months ago, you'll have to forgive me. Yes, I know I'm a pastor, but you're going to have to forgive me. Sometimes we have our moments of weakness. And a couple of months ago, I came to this conclusion. I'm sick and tired of reading stories like this. Incredible answers to prayer. Chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. I'm tired of reading these kinds of stories. I'm thankful that people are having a powerful experience with God. But I want that same experience. We have, I, have to, I had to come to the realization I need to stop depending upon other people's experience and pray that God would give me that same experience. I got tired of it. You know, for a while, it was very encouraging and very uplifting, and it still is. But I said, Lord, I want this experience for myself. And so I decided to put myself right in the line of fire and say, Lord, I want to do whatever you're asking me to do in my life, and that's when he made a change in our ministry and said, okay, if you want to do what what I want you to do, that's where I want you to go, to that island out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I said, okay, we'll head that direction. And as we started going through the process of being accepted as missionaries to go to Papua New Guinea, I started realizing after we were accepted, Lord, this is a big undertaking. Those of you that are familiar with the AFM magazine, you've seen it before, the launching goal and the monthly goal. Papua New Guinea is the second most expensive place in the world to be a missionary. Then as I looked at our launching goal and our, and, I, and our monthly goal, I said, Lord, this is just, I don't have this money. It's a God-sized problem. And I was praying right after we got accepted as missionaries. I was praying in my morning devotions, and I was thinking about this, this mountain that God had set before us. And I, like, a, like a lightning bolt, the passage came to my mind, my God shall supply all your needs. I got my Bible out, and I underlined that Bible promise, and I put my finger on it, and I said, Lord, you said it. I'm going to trust you. You call us. It is unquestionable that you called us to go there. You've made it so clear. If you called us, you will provide. Four hours later, four hours later, I was walking down to the end of my driveway with my trash can humming a tune of some sort as I was taking my trash out to be taken away. I walked over to my mailbox and I opened it. There was one letter in my mailbox. I don't know about you, but I never have one letter in my mailbox. There's always junk mail in there. And we oftentimes let it go for days before we actually pull things out. There was one letter in the mailbox. I I took the letter out and it was from 3ABN and it had our address handwritten on the front of it. Now, my wife's grandmother, who died at 103, thank God for the Adventist health message, had just died about two or three months prior to this. I pulled that envelope out, and I opened it up. And as I opened it up and read the letter, it was a letter from 3ABN telling us that they were settling her grandmother's estate and that $7,500 would be coming our direction. Four hours after I claimed the promise, God said, here's a token. Trust me, I got this under control. S.D. Gordon in his book, Quiet Talks on Prayer, said this. The great people of the earth today are the people who pray. People who take time to pray. Pray. They have not time. It must be taken from something else. That something else is important, very important and pressing, but still less important and pressing than prayer. Brothers and sisters, we have to come to the conclusion prayer and Bible study needs to be the all consuming thing in our life. Wield the sword. Through prayer, take the sword of the Spirit, praying always. Do you want that experience? Do you want to be able to write your own incredible answers to prayer? It's so encouraging. I know you've had that experience. You've had those experiences where you've prayed for something and God said, here it is. And you're just jubilant Thank you God for, and you know it was God who did it. I want more of those experiences as we go forth from victory to victory, pulling down the strongholds of the enemy and building up the kingdom of Prince Emmanuel. May God help us to be thick with him in our prayer chambers. Let's pray for that this morning. Father, our stomachs are rumbling because we want to have morning breakfast. But our spiritual stomachs have been filled. We thank you, Father, for feeding us generously from your Word this morning. We thank you, Father, for reminding us of the tremendous gift that you have given to us in the simple disciplines of Bible study and prayer. Oh, Lord, forgive us for those times where we have neglected and hurried on throughout our day about our business, leaving you behind. Help us, Lord, to make this the most important part of our lives. Give us the hungering and thirsting for righteousness and communion together with you. Father, we ask that you would bless us today, that you would give us minds to understand, kind words to speak, patience with others. And may you continue, Father, to equip us and refine us as soldiers in your army. We thank you again, Lord. May you go before us now, we ask.